don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. Oh, no, Mama doesn't dream about you anymore, Wally. You wouldn't know the old girl now. Ah, uh, yes, I would. I'd know you anytime, any, any place. place any... Anywhere. Ah, oh, you're repeating yourself, Walter. That's the speech you made the night you proposed. Yeah, I know that you still remember it. Of course, I remember it. If I didn't remember it, I wouldn't have divorced. Hello, everybody. Hey. How you guys doing? This is Recotopia, episode 65. Hmm. 65. Mm. I'm Chris Atkinson. I'm Jeremy Scott. And once again, acknowledging the chat who's come out here to watch us on a Tuesday, talk about movies today. Today's big recommend is His Girl Friday from 1940, continuing a theme that I've got going, uh, uh, comedies from the, from the decades and going up and up and up and mm. uh mm. blah 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 and this is not in the 40s and whatever anyway how you doing today, today jeremy i'm doing well do you have have you already planned out the rest of the decades because i no. Oh, okay i considered making next week's big recommend uh, a, a comedy that i know you and i both love but i don't want to take it if that's one that you're gonna hit on your way up the decades but. no yeah 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 that's fine and if you did choose one that uh, you know that i was planning on i'd find something easily that would slot in so okay. don't worry about that all right uh okay. but no i have not plotted it out i i think of these things uh like you know a week or so before um awesome uh, it's time to go so anyway do you have oh. any small recommends today it's no big deal it's so small and light it's small it's tiny it's petite it's weak i do uh they're not movies uh for the most mm. part uh because i um I hosted my nephew for this weekend uh, before his parents could come pick him up after college. And uh, we watched Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania the first Ooh. night. And I'm not Ooh. recommending that shit. Yeah, um, you said no movies. So, yeah. So, yeah this is almost then, like, this is a, this is a, like a, a, a worn, like, it, like low-key worn that you <laughs> yes. just did. Yes, <laughs> I hated that movie. Um, but it was fun watching it with the nephew. Uh, and Paul Rudd is charming. Um mm -hmm. But then, you know, uh, the next movie we watched was His Girl Friday, and my nephew enjoyed that uh, with us as well. Um, <clears throat> so, and that's the big recommend. So my first small recommend is going to be something I've tweeted about. Many of you may have seen this tweet, uh, and it's Kevin Smith's YouTube video on the People Magazine YouTube page. Mm. Um, there he is right there. If you go to my Twitter, jscotttn, uh, it's the pinned tweet um that video is right there it's 34 minutes long and i think it's one of the best 34 minutes you can spend um here is a man that is beloved by many for various reasons whether it's uh, his affinity for weed or his films that he makes or his talks that he gives you and i went and saw him uh at the yeah. ryman uh he's a very good storyteller um <clears throat> and uh he has made this video that is so candid and so open uh, about his journey. Uh, he very recently spent a month in a mental health facility um, <clears throat> inpatient treatment um, for what he, I think, loosely calls a psychotic break. 
Um, he had for years been playing the role of this Kevin Smith. He calls the other guy uh, mm -hmm. who's really funny and loves movies and uh, is really charming and outgoing and um, directs things. Um, and over time, he his true self got smaller and smaller. And I love the way he describes this. He says, one day I went looking for the real Kevin and I couldn't find him. And I thought all that's left is the other guy. Mm. And that's when he went to this facility and he and the first thing the doctor said when they were bringing him into the facility was, well, of course, you're still there. The other guy would not have brought himself to this facility. Mm -hmm. um, and listen, I've done a lot of therapy personally. I'm a mental health uh, advocate. Most of you know that. Uh, but he speaks so knowledgeably and intelligently. Um, the way that Neil deGrasse Tyson can take astrophysics and help you understand it in terms you know. He does this with mental health. He teaches you in this video uh, tactics to stay in the present instead of living in the future or the past. Um, I just, I've done a lot of deep thinking after watching this video, and it's something that I will revisit and watch again. Uh, so there you go. Um, that's my first small recommend. Find 34 minutes uh, somewhere in your next week and go uh, listen to this man tell his story. I'm not sure he's ever going to make another movie. He's not smoking weed anymore. Uh, he just wants to focus on loving himself. And that is huge because so many of us can't do that. Um, yeah. So there you go. That's my first small recommend. Kevin Smith, People Magazine's YouTube page. Also the pinned tweet on my Twitter. There you go. Another thing you'll get out of this too is uh, something that a lot of people don't don't really recognize a lot of times is that he was talking about um how trauma works on the on the brain and yeah. like like <sighs> will say something to the effect of like well that's not that bad i did i had something worse or whatever and he's say, basically saying it doesn't really matter what kind of trauma it is or how how there's not the brain doesn't dis distinguish between degrees of trauma right something traumatic happened and you're going to feel this way whether it was really like on the low end of the scale or whatever you want to call it and he's basically saying there is really no scale when it comes to the brain right. to this type of thing so yep that was one thing i got out of that too and yes i would uh, second this recommend on this video um uh going on into the movies a movie that i had seen uh, a few times before wanted to revisit it is albert brooks modern romance from 1981 have you ever seen this jeremy i have not but i just today was thinking about defending your life uh, another yeah. Albert Brooks movie um another good I've, one. I've seen almost all of them but this is not one of them oh this is so good man this is so albert brooks plays a guy like i don't know if he's likable actually in this i mean mm. he's likable in his in a way where it's funny watching him but like if you had to interact with this person on a daily basis it would drive you mad mm. um the very beginning scene of modern romance is him calling is like he and his girlfriend are gonna have this dinner and he's like ah nothing it's this isn't working out we should break up and apparently this has happened many times before Mm. and the girlfriend is like ah, this is, so what do you want me to do here like this is you know this always happens with you and he goes no this is it i'm i i, I think it's over so like, well, what do you not love me anymore 
And he goes, no, love's not the, no, love's not the problem. I just don't think we, we work or whatever. And so like, of course, immediately after he breaks up with her, he can't stop thinking about her and wants to get back with her. And there is tremendous, there's a tremendously long, it doesn't feel, I, I'm not saying this as, a, as, oh my God, you're watching this movie and it feels so long. It's an hour and a half movie, but there, there's a whole like big, like 20, it's gotta be about 20 minute sequence where he is by himself talking to himself, hmm. going like debating on whether to call this person or like going through his Rolodex and calling another girl that he knows, or, huh. uh, he is, um, he is an editor of films. He is on this one, uh, he's on this one movie, the space movie or some sort that's that George Kennedy is in. And, uh, James L Brooks plays the director of this movie, which is kind of funny. Albert Brooks and James L Brooks have no relation. Yeah. But, uh, but Albert Brooks does, uh, his brother named Bob Einstein was, uh, cause he, his name was also Albert Einstein before he changed the name <laughs> for obvious reasons. Uh, his name, Bob Einstein, super Dave Osborne is in oh. this movie. And so there's a little scene with him and, uh, cause one of the things that he does to try to get over the breakup is like, he's like running is going to be my life. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to start running. And he goes to like a, a shoe store. And this is where he runs into uh super Dave Osborne basically. And like the guy, the, the, this guy's like the best salesman of shoes ever, basically like, like mocks the guy for mocks, mocks Albert Brooks for like what shoes he's looking at, tells him to go to these shoes, tells him that he needs to buy this suit, this track suit, and he needs to buy a second track suit. And oh, by the way, you need to buy this and this and this and this and this. Um, and of course on the very first day he tries to run, he doesn't make it very far and he goes immediately to a phone booth to try to call his girlfriend. <laughs> um, uh, so the, the movie is like this all the way through where he, constantly is like trying to deal with this breakup and then eventually like what does he do when he does finally try to get back together with her is she going to be receptive for that but he, he, even even if he gets her back the same hang-ups keep running in running up against him where he's like he's jealous of every guy she talks to um there's just every single time he's not happy with her and and definitely not happy without her but it told in this albert brooks in brooksian way it's just wonderful thing there's a long um during this 20 minute thing there's a long unbroken shot where he's like on his bed uh his uh his assistant editor is played by bruno kirby uh -huh. and um bruno kirby gives him two quaaludes and he takes he takes both of them and uh and so he's he does this whole thing kind of like I did when I when I had those edibles and I called you that one time. <laughs> he takes he takes the two quaaludes and says, "Ah, there's nothing going on with with me on this." But then eventually you can see that it, the the drugs just take hold and he's like, "By the way, he's talking to Bruno Kirby, you're the you're the best editor, you're best assistant editor I've ever had. I love you, man. I love you." And he's like, "You're the best and whatever." And and, and um but there's like that whole long, there's a whole long thing where he's like t dealing drugs, he's dealing drugs, he's taking drugs and he's doing all these things to try to, to get over the breakup. The funniest, I brought this one up. One of the funniest things to me in this movie is when he, when they show him actually editing this movie, uh, the, there's a, there's like scenes in there, like where, where he's absolutely right. To, to cut it the way he says to cut it. But the director comes in and is like, oh, but you cut the line. I love that line that he, that George Kennedy says, I love that line. And it's like, yeah, but 
if you keep that in, this doesn't make sense and blah, 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 and whatever. But there's a scene where George Kennedy's running through a hallway or whatever, and they need footsteps to, uh, to, to match what he's doing. Cause it just doesn't sound, sound good at all. And the, the guy who's like the head of the sound booth, he's just, the, he steals this entire scene just to how, like, how, like uninterested he is in do in making this scene work. And, uh, Albert Brooks is like, I was like, well, we gotta have some, some sound on stock somewhere. And they, it's like, what about Hulk running? And they're like, okay, we'll get Hulk running. And so they get, they, they <laughs> dub Hulk running over George Kennedy running through the spaceship. And it's like, and he goes, he's like, and he's like, what is that? Wait a minute. What is that? That's this is like, that's not Hulk running. That's Hulk screaming. That's what should be on the thing right there. <laughs> and then eventually he eventually, uh, just does his own sound or whatever. And, and they, they put it into the movie and the, 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 the old pro guys, like Albert Brooks is like, what do you think? What do you think? And the old pro guys like, I think you saved the picture, <laughs> <laughs> but this movie is great. It's, I think you would absolutely love this and, uh, talk about something that could be a big recommend down the, down the road. This is, this is what awesome. I, uh, mm-hmm. I went on a tear several years ago, watching every Albert Brooks I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. So, and he's made a lot of movies with James L Brooks. Um, even though yeah. they're not related, uh, cause right. James did broadcast news, right? Yep. Um, yep. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and they, and they, they semi sort of worked with the Simpsons when Albert Brooks was, that's uh, right. you know, uh, doing guest voices, some of the most classic guest voices on The Simpsons ever. Yeah, and uh, um, I guess I, I always forget James L. Brooks was a producer on that show. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> yeah, I agree with Slab. He says, Defending Your Life needs to be a big recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's another great one. There's one I can't remember. I never remember the name of where he loses his job and goes on an RV trip with uh, his wife, who's the mom from uh, What About Bob? Oh um, yeah, what is that one? I can't remember the name of it, but I I've, I've seen it twice and I really like it. Anyway, I need to watch Modern Romance. Somehow that one slipped through the net. Mm-hmm. Um, for my second small recommend, ladies and gentlemen, I'm returning to the category of food and beverage, uh, as Mountain Dew has just released a new flavor called Summer Freeze. And what is Summer Freeze? I'm going to tell you. It tastes like the red, white, and blue bomb pops you used to get from the oh, ice cream damn. truck that drove through your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, well, listen, I'm a, I, I'm an admitted Mountain Dew connoisseur. Um, yes. I like more of the new flavors than I dislike. Uh, the apple one that they have at Kroger does not work for me. Um, but um, this one works. It, it tastes exactly like those flavors it is as blue as anything you will ever drink uh it, mm-hmm. it looks like you're about to drink like mouthwash uh but i assure you uh it tastes like uh that sweet frozen treat from your youth um and they have it in regular and zero sugar varieties and mountain dew's zero sugar game is pretty good these days mm-hmm. so uh i strongly recommend this if you are <laughs> A Mountain Dew fan. Jeremy Jeremy recommends a new Mountain Dew flavor. Take a drink. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. This is not the first time. Uh, and it won't be the last. Uh, but this one is good. Mm-hmm. Top notch. Stellar. Go get it. Uh, they at least are carrying it at Kroger right now. I haven't seen it at Publix. Um, it might be in the gas stations. But I don't mm-hmm. ever go inside those places. So. Yeah. There you go. Pow- more right. power to you. And as uh, Polly Walnuts says, Lost in America is that movie that Albert Brooks and uh, Julie oh, Haggerty. Thank you, Polly. 
Julie Haggerty were in. Um, and uh, yes, I don't, I can't remember I've seen that one or not. I know, I know I've seen at least, isn't, is that the one where he's always talking about Easy Rider and stuff in it? I think so. Yeah. 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 He does talk, he talks about Easy Rider in this movie briefly, but like he must really love Easy Rider because it seems like a, a thing. But, um, but yeah, anyway, uh, my next small recommend. A movie from 1995 starring Parker Posey called Party Girl. Uh, did you ever Ooh, see this? I did. I don't remember a thing about it, but I saw it right when it came out. I never saw this. And Parker Posey was uh, an indie darling in the 90s. Uh, she was in, I mean, that was that was her thing. She was in all those, like, she was like the lead in a lot of these big indie films. She later on would get into some big movies here and there. Like was she, she was in Superman returns, I think, or something she like was, that. And she was in, um, uh, you've got mail. You've got mail. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't know where it all started. It's it's it, but the, the character she plays here is something that I don't think we had seen much of in the nineties. It was, it's a very nineties movie. This party girl is, but, um, but, we were used to seeing female characters who uh, just knew, just had everything together. Right. Or they, 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 they could never do any wrong and whatever. And this, the character Parker Posey plays in this is always just, just a complete fuck up there for a while and has absolutely no idea what she wants to do with her life. Um, and at the very beginning of the movie, she's being arrested because she, uh, whole, throwing this party that has a lot of illegal drugs and uh, sort of all this stuff. And then she gets out uh, and uh, she goes to work with her godmother who works at a library. And, um, and the, uh, the, there's this big discussion about like, you know, working at a library is not nearly uh, as easy as you would think it is. And, you know, it requires a master's degree to be a real librarian and things like that but she's just going to be a clerk and all she needs to do is learn the Dewey decimal system and learn how to file things and blah, blah, blah. And that's it. But she can't even do that very well. And she just keeps on like going through life, fucking everything up. She's got this uh, boyfriend played by Leo Schreiber. Who's the only guy that I could recognize. I think he's the only other actor I really recognized uh, in this, but Leo Schreiber is like her kind of boyfriend, but she's tired of him already. And she's ready to move on. Um, she's got a roommate who's a DJ. He's, he's having a hard time finding work, but he ends up finding work at this, uh, this one club, uh, because somebody else flaked out or something like that. But, uh, eventually she gets to be awesome at, at filing. She actually spends like an entire evening and through the morning learning the Dewey decimal system and learning the, the cataloging and everything. And it becomes to the point where she is an absolute whiz at it. In hmm. fact, does it to a point that, uh, that, uh, when her, her roommate has all these records lying all over the place, she files the records, uh, in a, in, huh. in a, in a Dewey decimal like thing. And of course he comes home to try to get some of his albums for the, t for tonight's DJing. And he's like, what'd you do? You totally <laughs> fucked my entire thing. And she teaches him how to, how to find <laughs> them using the Dewey decimals. <laughs> um, uh, she's got this other, uh, she's got this, uh, love interest. It's this guy who, uh, who sells like falafels and stuff like that. It has a falafel stand. That's a, a kind of a fledgling falafel stand because some other like 
better falafel stand has like opened up at the same corner that he has. Mm. And there's this long line out there every day taking his customers. But Parker Posey, who's really attracted to this guy, comes up and asks for the same thing every time you see her go to go to this guy's uh, cart and eventually they sort of develop a relationship and a boyfriend girlfriend thing but every time she seems to get something and seems to be in a, headed in a positive direction her own she can't get out of the way of her own self basically but i was a little worried about this movie when i first started watching it. i was like i don't know i don't know if i'm getting into this and everything but it, it turned out it really turned very funny and interesting there's some really offbeat things that happen in this parker posey's great i love i love how just just with her eyes she seems to say so much so many things uh in in scenes so yeah um highly recommend party girl i think it's really really good movie so i uh just learned on the internet uh, that party girl was the first movie to ever premiere on the internet really yes hmm. and that was 1995 so i remember the internet being pretty crude back then yes it um, was so um, I'm, I'm not sure how many people watched it online. That was but... for the ultra rich who could who could could afford that twenty eight point eight baud modem. Seriously, man. I don't know how <laughs> you could get a whole movie with the modem my dad had in nineteen ninety five. Um, <clears throat> that was, I mean, it was one of those like like fax machine mm -hmm. modems that make all those sounds when you. Your phone line to the internet. And, Couldn't uh, use your phone and the internet at the same time. <laughs> right. And congrats to the chat who are getting the UHF uh, references in there with Conan the Librarian and things like that. Yes. Nice. Uh, nice. Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? <laughs> um, all right. That takes us to our big recommend, which is 1940s His Girl Friday. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed i uh, i advertised last week that this is like word like words being thrown at you at an extremely quick pace and i wasn't lying was i <laughs> no <laughs> uh according to the trivia on the imdb of this movie typical movies have a 90 words per minute dialogue speed and this one has a 240 word dia yeah. a, a minute uh dialogue Insane. speed it had there's so many things that happen so fast like this was made for like people to watch back in the day and then have to come back yeah and get all the stuff that Luckily, we have the rewind button. We have streaming. We can do that today. But like back in the day, they had to watch this shit several times probably <laughs> yeah. to get everything. Yeah. Um. So um. So yeah. So let's. Uh, the 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 plot of this is fairly bare bones, even though a lot of things happen in it and everything. Mm -hmm. So we. So we uh we we're at a newspaper run by Walter Burns, who is uh, Cary Grant uh in this uh there is uh this is the this is just the day before an execution of uh of a um of a guy who's going to uh he was who was accused of killing a policeman and this is just before uh just the, the day before that's going to happen and also on the same day his ex-wife comes in to the news to the news newspaper his wife is is uh is played by Rosalind Russell Hildy Johnson who is a star reporter on this newspaper, but she is leaving 
and she's been divorced from from Walter this whole time, and she's going to marry somebody else. She's going to marry this Bruce Baldwin guy, start, uh, starring Ralph. Uh, it's Ralph Bell Bellamy who plays him. Um, they come in, they announce their intentions, and blah blah blah. And uh, but the problem for uh, Walter in this uh, big story, with this guy who's about to get executed, they want they want him to get the stay of execution. They want him, they want to write uh, a story that he got saved at the last minute. Mm. Uh, they even, that you can tell that Walter has no qualms about doing anything he can in his power to make that happen. In fact, he throws some sort of bribe out there for the government governor that he would, uh, the paper would uh, endorse him for Senator. If he would just go ahead and give him the stay of execution already uh and uh so yeah there's a lot of underhanded dealings in this newspaper uh that uh, just to try to get the just to get the, the the story that they want um so on this day that there's all this news happening his best writer who is not who after hildy is uh at the hospital where his wife is uh, about to give birth to twins and uh, he says something to the effect of like you know like like, how can somebody do that in this day and age? You know, like, you know, this is, you don't have it. Nobody has any like, you know, he's he uh, he's he's upset that this guy is like uh, like trying to see witness the birth of his children instead of being on this story. Um, So he sees that he sees that uh, that uh, Hildy and Bruce are about to leave and uh, he want he has he concocts a plan to keep them here and maybe get Hildy to be on, uh, to be on the story. And he promises to buy insurance from Bruce. Bruce is a struggling insurance, uh, uh, salesman. Uh, they barely have any money. They only have like $500 to their name. Um, and, uh, he get he gets, uh, he, he gets them to, uh, to stay because of that. And she gets Walter to, to say, I'm going to give you a certified check for $2,500 um uh and he even says what do you think i'm some kind of thief and she goes yes you know <laughs> and she basically just yes um so uh in the meantime so so there's so he keeps them there for a, for a brief moment and he thinks that that's going to that's going to do it but as the story keeps going on and on there the uh the, there's a, a there's a lot of stuff going on here so the mayor and the sheriff they want to execute the guy um they they are in that camp because they have a, they have, it's, it's a, it's a political thing where it's a white guy who shot a black policeman. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the mayor and sheriff want to, want to, want to go ahead and execute him for the votes. Basically right. the governor, uh, basically, uh, I, I think pretty much the same, but just, yeah. just that's how many people want the stay after the, you know, whatever. So, right pretty much the same they're working against each other on that um so there's a lot of things that go on they're going there there's uh and in in this in this in this story trying to get this story right walter keeps preventing hildy from leaving because he gets bruce in a whole bunch of different situations uh first is a stolen watch thing he gets his gangster friend to like plan a watch on him and, and claim that the watch got stolen that keeps him back for a bit uh, there's another point. This was a really 1940s term that I had to look up, but he gets arrested again for mashing is what he says. 
uh, gets Bruce, it gets Bruce arrested twice and once is for mashing and mashing apparently is just saying lewd things to women in the street. <laughs> That's what he got arrested for on the second one. So he, he gets, he gets one of his friends who's a, who's a beautiful woman to go down and walk by a taxi and then claim that he said something to her oh, as she walked past. Um, so in the meantime, while this delay is happening, there's so much going on with this guy who's on death row. Um, they have a, there's a, there's, there, there's a, a doctor who's going to set up this reenactment of the crime and the sheriff slips the slips him a real gun, which he uses to shoot his way out of the, of the jail and he escapes. And, uh, he eventually, <laughs> ends up in the newsroom where Hildy is and Hildy ends up hiding him in a roll top desk. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff there. The writers, the big writer's room comes in there and she's got to hide him while they come in there talking about all these different stories that they're coming up with. And you can see why Hildy is on this story and not them because their stories that they come up with are absolutely insane. Ridiculous. <laughs> including one that was a bit racist i think um they used a term that i have never heard before and i had to look up i was just like oh my god seriously i okay all right they did that okay but the story itself was that the they were looking for this guy everywhere so this woman who gave birth gave birth to a child and they they questioned the child or they like asked, they like examined the child because they knew that he was going to, they just like this, they, they, he had to be hiding somewhere is, is, is the punchline. Um, but these, these other writers come in and then uh, there's this friend of the guy who the, she's this woman that they've painted as his, they've painted the death row guy as this woman is uh, as uh, his lover. And she's just a friend. All that happened was he helped he um he helped her out. I can't remember what it was that happened with that. What did he do? She brought no, he was uh on the street and she brought him in and let him stay the night in her apartment. Um and that's how I think they became friends. That's what again, this movie moves so fast and it's my only it's only my first time watching it. So I I'm sure yeah. I missed half of what was said, but that was my recollection that she gave him a bed to sleep in for the night. Right. And, and she didn't and he didn't do anything. They weren't lovers, but she has become friends with him. And she comes up to the newsroom to to yell at everybody about this and about her portrayal and everything. There's a point where she jumps out of a window to distract everybody. Cause she sees that she sees that, uh, what is this guy's name? Is it, what is the death rose guy, death row guy's name? Will uh, Earl Williams, Earl Williams, right? Yeah. Earl Williams. Um, she see, is she, she jumps out of a window at one point. Cause she sees him in the, she sees him in the roll top desk and she offers a distraction where all these like a writers three story drop of a distraction. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like I, they even debate if she's alive at the window after she jumped. That was yeah, not yeah. just a diversion. That was, Oh, that, that shocked me. I, I mean, yeah, I was not expecting it. <clears throat> all the writers end up descending on that particular thing because they have nothing else basically. Um, and then there's a, a whole variety of things here where the mayor and the sheriff, uh, there's a, there's a messenger who comes in with a stay of execution 
and it gets to the mayor and the sheriff and the mayor and sheriff, the mayor and sheriff bribe the guy to not bring it. They tell him to bring it late is what it is. So they, this guy's coming from the governor and the mayor and sheriff say, come back later after we've already done this. And they bribe him on this. Um, they bribe him with then, a job as the city, the city, uh, planner or something it was something yeah and this guy is like he's definitely no city planner or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. that they gave him um but they 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 do that and um eventually so <laughs> there's a point where walter uh uh finds out about about uh the guy in the roll top desk and he tells him like when i hit the thing three times that's when that's me and you can you can hit three times back just tell me that you're in there or whatever and uh and so during this big huge argument down towards the end of the movie he accidentally hits the roll top desk three times and they find him in the roll top desk and of course uh uh there uh walter and hildy are about to get arrested for keeping this guy in the newsroom the whole time and um and then uh of course there's this uh you know this uh, stay of execution that comes in right at the right time where the mayor and the sheriff are the ones who are actually in trouble uh by the end of it uh also during all of this hildy's writing a story and it, it's got this poetic language it sounds like it's going to be the best story ever written about somebody on death row um and uh and there's a point where the story has, she she gets the full story and everything and she's about to write it and poor bruce comes back and tries to tell tell her that that he's leaving. They're going to go to Albany. They're going to get married tomorrow. Uh, this is where their honeymoon is. They're going to live with their mom for a year. All this type of stuff. And uh, and he's trying to tell her that yeah, we're leaving. We need to leave. And she, the story is too important to her. She's obviously like a newspaper person. She uh, wants to wants to see this through and uh, totally ignores Bruce during this whole thing. In fact, doesn't even realize he was in the room essentially by the time it's over. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then that's, that's the end of uh, her and Bruce and Hildy goes back with Walter by the end of this. They, uh, they get married. They're going to get married. They're going to have a, so they're going to get married and they're going to go to Niagara Falls. And then they find the story at the very end that there's a strike in Albany and there's that great line that says, I wonder if Bruce can put us up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I probably missed a few things here and there in the plot, but that's basically what it comes down to. What did you think about this movie, Jerry? I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I, I have a lot of thoughts. Unfortunately, I don't have notes today, so it'll all be from memory. Mm -hmm. um, because I watched this in a group setting instead of on my computer. But... Um, <clears throat> The first thing I wanted to say is I wonder, and maybe this is on the record somewhere, I wonder how much this era and type of filmmaking influenced um, <clears throat> Robert Altman uh, mm. in terms of dialogue overlapping. And I did a little trivia research on His Girl Friday, and this is one of the, I think it's the second movie ever that was filmed that way with dialogue overlapping until this yeah. movie and actually the one that came right before it. Uh, everybody said their line and stopped, and the next person would say their line and stop, um, which is what you still see in a lot of movies. Um, and obviously, I don't think Alton's making a comedy every time out. Uh, he certainly is with MASH. Uh, but mm -hmm. I feel very strongly like that. I kept thinking about Robert Altman watching this movie and how mm. much the dialogue was overlapping. And 
even with the added benefit of captions, uh, they're sometimes moving so damn fast that I, I can't catch them. I got up. The, 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 the living room in my house and the kitchen, there's no wall in between them. So I got up and went to the kitchen to put some more tea in my cup. And right, that was right when she jumped out the window. And mm -hmm. my nephew was like, oh, my gosh, you missed it. And I was like, what? What happened? He was like, she jumped out the window. And so I had to, like, rewind <laughs> it to experience that moment. Um, I just, this just reminded me a lot of Arsenic and Old Lace, which, yeah. Lots of good reasons. Uh, there's a lot of the same kind of talking over each other. Cary Grant, um, similar era. And my mom showed that movie to us a lot when we were young. Yeah. So this, there was almost a nostalgic feeling for me watching this. I almost felt mm -hmm. like this was familiar to me, even though I had never seen it. Um, I love... I love everything about the movie except that she gets back with him at the end. Yeah. I accept that she realizes I'm a newspaper person and Bruce is too vanilla, but uh, Walter is nothing but an abusive dick to her this whole yeah. movie. He yeah. gives her he gives her fake money. He fucks her fucks her fiance over three different times getting him arrested. Mm -hmm. Uh he has only selfish motives all the way through. Uh yeah. and and so when they walked off and, the, and it went, went to the music and credits, I was like, I don't want her to end up with him. Right, um, right. But it was yeah. clear all movie long she wasn't going to end up with Bruce. Right. Um, I did not know this until I researched, but the guy who played Bruce is Ralph Bellamy. There's a line yeah. in here where Cary Grant says there's a guy in a taxi down there who looks exactly like Ralph Bellamy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and apparently that was ad-libbed. Uh, yeah. And the studio did not want it. Uh, but they eventually let the director keep it in. Uh, I think the biggest laugh for me is early when he decides to march out and go meet Hildy's new fiance, Bruce, and he walks right up to a clearly 74-year-old oh. man <laughs> and just yes. starts saying, hey, it's nice to meet you. I'm Walter. <laughs> uh, you've got a great girl here in Hildy. And Bruce comes up and goes, no, no, I'm I'm Bruce. He's like, hey, stop bothering me. I'm talking to Bruce Baldwin right now. <laughs> I was on the floor. Yeah. Um, it's just that kind of comedy. Cary Grant, you know, is perfect for this role. Oh, he's so good. And... Uh, there were a lot of leading ladies that turned it down because he hadn't been yeah. cast in the film yet, which is crazy to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love uh, I love the experience of this movie. I I agree with you. I think I would have to watch it four or five times to really feel like I had caught or seen everything. Yeah, um, which I love. I love that they packed so much into it um, because it will reward multiple multiple viewings uh, more than more than even just a second viewing, a third, fourth, fifth viewing. Um, I love the restaurant scene, uh, where Bruce initially loves Walter and thinks he's a really swell guy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I especially love the reporters, the reporters in that it's wild to me that there's a newsroom in a prison, but I guess that makes sense if you have executions. Um, but the way they fire off throwaway one-liners all movie long, even when they're being stepped on by Hildy talking to somebody else. Uh, those guys are freaking hysterical. Uh, if I, I think you could watch the movie and only focus on those men and what they say and be extremely mm -hmm. rewarded uh, other yeah. than the, the racist one. Um, but yeah, I did spend about five minutes trying to place the sheriff before I realized he was the judge in Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, um, yeah. And also one of the reporters here is the psychiatrist in Miracle on 34th Street who declares that 
uh, Chris Kringle is uh, hmm. mentally unsound and gets him committed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I had a lot of fun. The movie has almost no score because where would you put it? Right, exactly. Got people talking the entire time. Um, and I bet this script is twice as long, three times as long as an average script, right? Because they say like a screenplay is on average like 90 to 110 pages, right? Yeah. I bet this one's 200, 250 yeah, it's pages. A, it's a remake or a, an adaptation of the front page, which was had been, become a really big uh, Broadway play or whatever in the 20s, I believe. Uh, and then they made them, I think they made a movie out of the front page. And then they made this movie, it used to be two male leads that were in this, uh, in the front page. And then um, Howard Hawks, who directed this movie, was doing auditions and her his secretary a woman was doing a lot of the lines and he mm. liked how how it how some of these lines came out uh from a woman's voice so that's why he ended up uh recasting that uh, that hildy character as a woman and um rosalind russell's performance in this which is great obviously yes uh clearly inspired jennifer jason lee in hudsucker proxy mm -hmm. um this is the, the i mean if you if you can't you can't escape it if you're uh, as familiar with the hudsucker proxy as we are and this was a big recommend mm -hmm. uh, a few months ago uh you cannot help but hear echoes of what jennifer jason lee is going to do with her character in that movie later on um there's a anecdotal thing here about Ralph Bellamy. Uh, first off, I want to talk about with Ralph Bellamy. He plays a virtually sim virtually the same character in another Cary Grant movie called The Awful Truth, which had Irene Dunn as the as the divorced. Uh, they hmm. were both divorced in that, and uh, and Ralph Bellamy is the suitor in that movie as well uh, as two divorcees spar. Uh, back and forth uh in that one so it's kind of funny to see him here and in, in this uh again like sort of back to back but uh i heard a story from my dad once that his dad was hanging out with this kid back in the day hmm. and this kid said that i'm going i'm going to run away and i'm going to go to hollywood and i'm going to be a big star and apparently my dad's dad was hanging out with ralph bellamy and oh, i wow I looked at uh, I looked at uh, the uh, Wikipedia for him, and it said that he ran away from home at 15. So I'm oh, like, no. well, that kind of backs it up a little bit. Wow. Although, again, don't know for a fact if that's what actually you know what actually occurred. But thought that was kind of cool. Um, well, I'm, update, I'm updating the Wikipedia right now to say that. That's <laughs> <a fact. laughs> yes, Chris's grandfather, who we never met, uh, you know, uh, uh, often palled around with Ralph Bellamy as teenagers um let's see um oh and there's another inside joke in here that's funny too which is when uh when uh the mayor or uh, the mayor or the sheriff i can't remember who tells him that he's through yeah he tells walter that he's through and he's like well the last person who told me that was Walt was archie leach before he before he slit his throat or whatever and uh, uh if you didn't know that Cary grant was born archibald leach uh that's uh that's a nice little inside joke that he throws in uh, to this movie as well. Uh, really love that. Um, uh, let's see, what else do I have in here? I had a bunch of, I have a bunch of lines written down on here, but I'm not, I don't think I'm going to go through all of those. There's just, there are so many jokes thrown at you in this movie. Mm. I mean, again, a repeat 
viewing is is going to be necessary it's going to be uh on the order if you want to get everything that's out of this and there's sometimes where they say things so fast that you have to hear the sentence back and forth to really know what they're talking about in there because especially when they're talking about you know whether or not they're going to execute this guy and what <laughs> there's so many different things that go on with that i was like okay, wait a minute, do they want him to be dead or does the governor just want him to be? Uh, I don't know who's who wants what. So there's a lot of times where there's like going on there. But anyway, um, I think it's time for the super secret double feature. The super secret double feature. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Oh, that's my responsibility. Good thing I mm. thought about it. Um, good, good. I have already seen the chat mention um, two that I'm not going to choose that uh, mm -hmm. this movie highly re reminded me of. Arsenic and Old Lace and Hudsucker Proxy, uh, as you mentioned Hudsucker as well. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> those both felt like kindred spirit movies to this. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not going to be able to super secret double feature the tone of this movie because it's so distinctly itself right with the talking over each other and the 240 words per minute and the and the jokes flying everywhere and you need to watch it 10 times and i'm not going to make the super, super secret double feature his girl friday again i'm not going to do that that would be <laughs> me. um but i am going to go with a little scene ron howard movie called the paper um, oh, yeah. Michael Keaton, Glenn Close, Robert Duvall, and Marissa Tomei. I haven't seen um, this movie since it came out. I haven't either. Uh, I don't know if it's great. I remember enjoying it. It's The similarities are we're focused on newspaper men trying to get to the bottom of a story about a murder. Um, it takes place in 24 hours, whereas His, His Girl Friday takes place in, I think, less than that, but close. Um, and, um, yeah, I just think that would be a really good um newspaper men journalism foray the, his girl friday and then the paper the paper is kind of a dramedy it's not going to be a laugh out loud laugh riot let's not yeah. slapstick stuff in there um but i think there's enough uh thematically and story-wise similar that they would make a good pairing <clears throat> yeah yeah absolutely i enjoy that i i need to see the paper again um because that's a movie that after it came out it wasn't a big hit but there were a lot of people who uh, especially in the nineties would, uh, would say they, you know, would remember that movie fondly basically. So, uh, I need to watch that again. need to watch that again for sure. Um, um yeah. <clears throat> all right. Well, uh, what is next week's homework, Jeremy? All right, folks, next week's homework. I'm going to give you a movie that has a 33% rotten tomatoes rating. Damn. I believe they got it wrong. Damn. Um, we're going to go with The 13th Warrior. Um, this is uh, John McTiernan, one of my favorite mm -hmm. directors of all time. Um, mm -hmm. And it's based on a book by Michael Crichton called Eaters of the Dead. Yeah. Um, and there is even a little bit of mystery about this film because Crichton didn't like everything McTiernan did and did some reshoots on his own. Oh, really? Um, and so... For years, it's been considered that. But then McTiernan recently said, no, that's my movie. I'm That's definitely my movie. So hmm. that's why I say there's mystery. There's uh, allure. Um, anyway, <laughs> this is uh, a Beowulf-adjacent tale. There's a Beowulf character in here. 
Um, and uh, <clears throat> Antonio Banderas is um, maybe controversially playing a Middle Easterner. Um, oh, okay. And he is the son of an important man, but he is a poet. He uh, is not a warrior, but he is sent um, with Beowulf and his gang to go on this mission because it's been foretold that a 13th warrior was needed. Um, and then he ends up volunteering. From my perspective, this movie is about his journey from um, peaceful poet to badass warrior. Um, and the steps along the way. There is a worm of fire that's attacking villages and killing people, mutilating them. Uh, and Beowulf and his crew are coming in to try and kill this monster. Um, and uh, that's all I really want to say. Uh, I certainly hope you guys don't hate it, uh, but I think it's way the hell better than 33%. And I have mm -hmm. not personally seen it in five or six years. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those that came out, didn't make any money, and went away, and just people forgot about it. But I would like to bring it to your attention. So there you go. Awesome. All right. Well, that'll this, be... That'll... <clears throat> this go movie ahead. is on Tubi. Uh, so that is an ad-supported free streaming service. You can also pay $3.99 to rent it from anywhere else without ads. Um, but uh, so there you go. Yeah. The 13th word. All right. Well, I think this is going to be it for the show today because I don't think we have any questions that nope. we gathered for this week because it's been a busy week, guys. Yep. Sorry about that. <clears throat> uh, but uh, sure, questions will return next week. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so uh, next week, the 13th Warrior. Can't wait to dive back into that one. That'll be fun. Uh, so um, uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for uh, this episode. Uh, oh, and we got the spam. Look we got at the some spam. spam. Oh, the spam is going coming in through the chat. Welcome, spam. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you next time. See ya. Bye, everybody. Bye. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash CinemaSins or CinemaSins Twitter at CinemaSins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at CinemaSins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at CinemaSins.com. Why is my mic so far down? Hello? Hello, why is my mic so far? I think I turned it up too high. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. What's up? What's up? <laughs> What's up? Uh, remember when that was like, everybody was doing that I for do. like six months? I do. That was crazy. I do remember that. I believe they have been trying to get back to that kind of popularity in the pop culture lingo for decades because mm -hmm. they had that one and then they did the bud wiser mm -hmm. those were both uh quoted infinitely mm -hmm. um and they've never gotten back to that they've never had a catchphrase as well good. they had well i don't know if it's the same i don't know who who which beer did what but that dilly dilly was a thing there for a bit too oh yeah 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 um I but i don't know if that was the same the same beers you guys beat us man the braves beat us yeah, yeah, one. they did. I mean, it's it's uh, 
both of those, all three of those. I mean, the third game was a blowout, but like in the seventh inning, it became a blowout. So like really right. all, all the games were really close and anything could have happened. Yep. And, you know, you know, I, you, you can never really take, I see, like, I, I know that the goal of teams are to win series. That's a big thing for them. But like, you know, right. if you'd gotten swept or if I had gotten, you know, my team got swept, eh, you know. <laughs> it's like play better next time you know <laughs> it's funny because most almost every major league manager unless they're getting angry at an ump and getting thrown out whenever it cuts to them in the dugout no matter what has just happened there's no facial expression mm-hmm. you can't he's not getting excited or angry and i think it's just because it's a long freaking season and so yeah that guy just struck out again but you know, he's going to have 500 more at-bats and mm-hmm. you know, one game at a time. It's hard It's hard for me as a fan. I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess these guys have been in the game for a lot longer than I have. But, yeah. You know, I get upset about almost every strikeout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the philosophy of hitting has changed over the years where it used to be embarrassing to strike out. Right. Uh and it's not anymore because the idea is if you're a hitter, you want to swing as hard as you can at a strike and hit it very deep somewhere. Yeah. And um, if you miss, well, say la vie, the the approach says over the long run, you're 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 going to add a significant amount of offense that you normally wouldn't. And so, you know, back in the 80s, you had people like Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs and Pete Rose yeah. and all these guys who were just like, let's just get a single. And, you know, and that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. You got on base, but you you aren't guaranteeing much by getting on base by hitting a single. You're uh, When you hit doubles and homers and stuff like that, that's where you get your offense and everything. That's where the philosophy yeah. has changed, so... Suzuki yeah, Suzuki was another one that was always like, let's slap a hit somewhere to left field. And from what I understood, he was he had the kind of power that could have he could hit thirty home runs if he wanted to. He just didn't. And uh, you know, you can you can make a Hall of Fame career by just kind of slapping balls around and whatever. And you know, you're obviously you're hard to get out, but at the same time. How much offense did you put leave on the table when you just hit singles? I think I used to, I mean, it's, I'm generalizing, but I think they used to play more small ball, right? Like, I remember the stolen base numbers were just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, William McGee and Vince Coleman, these guys would steal, like, I want to say 50 or 60 bases Vince Coleman year. stole 100 and something one year, and so did Ricky Henderson. Yeah. Ugh, it's crazy. Yeah. And I don't feel like those numbers for, for stolen bases are are quite that high anymore no no i mean i think i think the highest you get nowadays like there was one guy who may have gotten 80 or something in the like no i don't know but yeah it's usually like 40 is like your top is where it tops out i think for the most part i don't look much at stolen base uh things but yeah now with the way they have pitchers can't throw over more than once you know right yeah there's a lot of or they they can they just have to get them out on that next throw mm-hmm. or the guy advances to the next base yeah. there's all kinds of new st- strategery happening yeah. with these new rules that i find fascinating mm-hmm. um i hate the way i hate the loopholes that they've already created to get around the shift mm-hmm. uh rule oh yeah because 
I mean, I understand the argument of we'll just hit it to the opposite field and then they won't be able to do that. But uh, not every baseball player is capable of hitting to the opposite field. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like not every baseball player is capable of hitting righties and lefties. They're going to um, have to set up uh, some uh, some border lines if they want to do that. They're going to have to like carve the infield up and and just put lines there and you have to stay here if they really want this no shift thing to to, yeah. to happen and that's easy enough to do i know that i mean it's just you know you, you're gonna have to throw in two extra lines on the field basically that's it <laughs> yeah so uh It'll look a little silly for the first few years but. oh yeah yeah for sure but you know, then you prevent that from happening you could also do the same i guess you could do the same with the outfield make sure that the left fielder and the right fielder stay where they're supposed to be uh so that you don't have that extreme shift where the left fielder runs over to right field or whatever that right. type of thing but to, to play plays between first and second base right dropped back <laughs> but you know it's uh yeah i mean if you want to do that you're gonna have to you have to make boundaries and yeah of course they found loopholes on that because they know there's no boundaries so you can just do whatever you want basically you could you can't do it yeah. the same way but you can do it a different way it's like whenever they make a law when some um evangelical politician makes a law that is like supposedly gonna favor christians but then the church of satan comes out and says hey here we are mm. we're also an established religion so now you have to fly our flag as well yeah and whatever yeah the law yeah is. yeah um it's like you you thought you made the perfect rule but you you just created another a new loophole is all you've done mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah so they'll probably they'll probably adjust the shift rule with more words instead of boundaries and it'll just they'll just find another new way to do it yeah dickheads yeah i know we almost showed my nephew liar liar last night yeah but we realized uh well i mean he's a college student so i'm sure he's seen plenty of movies and i know he goes to the theater a lot to see movies but I just felt like, I just as soon as my wife said, I don't think he's ever seen Liar Liar, I went right to like the, the edgiest stuff in that movie. Mm -hmm. Like the, the her like Seattle Slough and the, and I thought it would help my career if I could make her squeal. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. all the sex related, anyway. How and old I, is your I, and then ultimately, he's 19. I think he can handle it. For sure. They're. They're a pretty religious family. Okay. Um, and so I don't want to be the one responsible for, like, not knowing where the lines are drawn. Like, they showed in The Matrix a couple years back. Yeah. But there's there's no sex in that. No. Um, there's hardly anything it's got except a lot of, violence. Yeah, a lot of gun violence. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, America in general is okay with gun violence in films, but not boobies. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they may run along those same lines. And so, anyway, by the time we, we thought it out, it was too late. I'll tell you what, man. I told you this before, but the, the biggest, like, edge of my seat thing for me when it involved niece and nephew was when the when nephew, at I think he was 15, maybe a little bit younger. And we pop Kingsman in. I was, I was just like, all right, you know. I mean, his dad's there, so like, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the guy <laughs> who tells you not to watch this movie. And I had heard, you know, I already heard like a whole bunch of other movies he had watched. So I was like, this isn't as bad. But you know, there's like a scene 
there's not only there's a lot of bad scenes in that movie but or you know as far as like kids watching it but the very right. end that very last shot where uh the like the girl like points her ass up at the camera yeah i was like <laughs> damn and he's and 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 they've already agreed that they're gonna do anal yes, yes. i'm like jesus christ this is the last shot of this movie it's, I went to see uh, that Clooney movie, The American. Um, oh yeah, with my with my father. Oh, I remember you telling me this. And there's like a five minute sex scene <laughs> where they are groaning and moaning <laughs> and writhing, and it was awkward as hell. Yeah, I was just like. We're both probably enjoying this on some level, but mm. we don't want to be with each other mm. while we're enjoying this mm -hmm. on some level. That movie's not as bad as I think the reviews made it seem. Mm. I don't know if you've ever I've seen it. I've never seen it. Uh, I remember uh, Hollywood 27 had it. We had it playing at one point, but I never saw it. Yeah, he's a he's a retired hitman that gets called in for a job, but then, then there's also someone trying to kill him, and he's bopping around and little towns and i think italy mm -hmm. um and uh yeah it's it's pretty decent yeah i don't know i may I, i'm not gonna make it a main recommend on recotopia or anything right. Like, <laughs> right at least until i rewatch it and make sure <laughs> but, but the one thing i remember the most was that sex scene but because it, clooney doesn't usually do a lot of sex scenes that j-lo one um out of gone. sight I forgot the name of that movie and out of sight that's hardly even a sex scene. They're just kind of being sexy, and then he's under the sheets yeah. the next morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was not going into a Hitman movie with Clooney expecting all the groaning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh. It's like Forrest Gump, like hearing his mom having sex with the principal groaning. You know, I'm all about that type of stuff in movies. <laughs> and I somehow missed that one, and I also missed... I think we were both working in Hollywood 27 when Original Sin came out. Oh my god! And uh, and you and like you told me like there was like some really raw things in that one, and I was like, I should watch that, and then I never did because it had such bad reviews that it's so bad. And I had to watch that with our co-manager, who I won't say her name, but probably clinically insane right. and had a small child with a projectionist. Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 I know who you're talking about. She was in there with the child. Oh, jeez. Um, like the three or four-year-old child. And then this is also famously, I built this print, but I the movie has such a jarring cut three reels in to, I went upstairs to make sure I hadn't put the movie, I stopped the movie yeah, to make yeah. sure I hadn't put the movie together wrong because it, it just, she's like, you're like watching this story and then suddenly Angelina is narrating it. It's all been flashback and she's, in nun prison or something and i was like what the fuck just happened nun prison. Um, i don't remember it's a bad movie